Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh... On today's show, we have Ingrid Lim, an emergency room physician who's going to tell us her story about how she was diagnosed with breast cancer, her surgery, and her recovery. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kave. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. Um, I have a slight cold, so I'm going to hopefully have a sexy cold voice. How are you guys doing? Do you need some whiskey? Mm, whiskey maybe. and cigarettes help all viruses. Hot toddy. I did hear that hot toddies have been proven to uh, shorten the course of the common cold. Oh, I don't know if there's any that truth to that. Fact. I didn't actually read the article. I just saw that headline. Someone that do some a, research on that I, and get back to I us. I saw that headline in The Onion, so it must be accurate. Yeah. Accurate. <laughs> accurate. Um, so I have some news. Yeah. My sister had a third baby, and yeah. I, I was there tough. for it. Thank you. I was there for it in the room. Thanks, which is pretty cool, right? And yeah. um, as she started pushing... I didn't know what was happening. Like, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, I was with her, like, supporting her. And I'm like, oh, I should get the camera. And I grabbed a phone. It happened to be my brother-in-law's. Started pressing record and just focused on my sister because I'm not, you know, a technology phone addict yet. And then a day or two later, her husband says to me, Lizzie, do you know that you took some really graphic video footage of your sister during labor <laughs> labor and i was like wait, wait. oh snap i did not know that <laughs> wait wait why were you you were just why yeah, why, why were you, you doing this why were, is that like not a fun thing to like she was probably like like yelling and screaming and pushing and sweating. first of all it is unclear why i did it it was in a, a panic moment um <laughs> Hey, hey, I just wanted to be in position holding her leg because that was my job, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to do a good job, and I feel 
judged by you right now. And, and I just grabbed a phone because I was thinking if she wanted any of these videos, because then they lift the baby out of your womb um, and put them like right onto your chest. And, you know, if you do a video footage, you can do frame by frame and take a photo or whatever. And honestly, nobody wants a photo of like a slimy dripping baby. So like nobody's going to watch and nobody even wants a photo or a video. Like the whole thing is moot. And then we watched it. And we're like, damn. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> we all, the three of us watch it. And we're like, all right, <laughs> let's, let's delete right this. <laughs> and let's watch the, it once and tell nobody. Of it. Right. And then we deleted it. And, um, now it's on my Facebook page. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not. Well, that is awesome. Good. Um, congratulations. That was to a the fun family. accident. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and seeing that whole thing go down, does that make you feel more or less confident in your ability to do it? To push one out? Yeah. Double entendre. Um, it lured me to look very, very easy. I'll be honest with you. Afterwards, I was like, that didn't look so bad. And she's like, shut the hell up. She was okay with it. There was she's no like, like him, her, like her grabbing the husband and being like, "You did this to me." <laughs> yeah. No, not that. Is number three. It was pretty, pretty chill. Just pop that one out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and she was. I might have to take this out, but she was just terrified of pooping. She was like, <laughs> <laughs> "That, that is, that is true. That is like when they're, you know, I've seen a lot of weird things in, in my medical training, and." I know it's a beautiful, natural process, and uh, I know I should embrace it, but that was the only time in medical training where I was like, oh, oh no. Like, I, there no. was some part of my brain that was like, nothing larger than me should be passing through a woman's vaginal canal. Oh, I thought you were being, oh no, with the poop. Yeah, but that, but that's the other thing, is that, yeah, sometimes there's poop coming out, and there's tears. I mean, there's a... A lot of beautiful things to childbirth. It's amazing. I hope nobody's upset by this. But there are some aspects of it that gross. Uh, can be a little gross. And, uh, but that's, I, that's part of the process. So you, she, you have an epidural and you're mostly like sort of numb and don't necessarily know ex everything that's going on. So a lot of women, I think, don't actually aren't sure <laughs> if, if poop has emerged along with said infant yeah so afterwards and i you know i'm at the head not necessarily down there even though my video footage might suggest otherwise <laughs> and i said to the doctor and the ob guy and like residents hanging out back there i'm like was there was there any poop was there any poop <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they're like what's they, wrong with your sister because she yeah, was so seriously. worried because she was so worried that was the one There's thing the whole day that she was Why? stressed out about was this so they said nope nope and i'm like laura there was no poop and we did a oh, big high cute. five and awesome. that was not captured on video poop should be the least of her worries i'd yeah. be like don't let the hoo-ha tear don't no, let the hoo-ha so tear no there's so many things and now that we have this on the podcast now she'll remember forever but i'm pretty sure she would have forgotten about that whole fear oh, yeah. in a few weeks or months oh good for her have some news for you guys. Yeah, buddy. I uh, saw one of your cousins, a GI doctor, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Cousin as in... Yeah, yeah we, we get it. Colleague, fraternal... Yeah. Brother from yeah. another mother, yes. Uh, the fellow I'm getting a colonoscopy in the end of July. Can't wait. Ooh. 42 years old, but uh, there's some history, and I have a question about it. Why is... What determines the, the age Specifically, what's the algorithm? What's the risk percentage? Or the truth of it is we talked to your gastroenterologist and we're like, we know he doesn't need one, but if you could just do it so we could record it for the show. Yeah. Kave and I great. called our quote unquote cousin and we said, make sure Joe Jafrida definitely has the biggest camera 
Find the biggest scope you can find and maybe put two of them in no. there. So the truth is the guidelines are everybody at age 50 should have a conversation yes. about colorectal cancer screening. It doesn't have to be a colonoscopy, but that's sort of the kind of the gold standard that we compare everything to. Um, but your family history and your symptoms dictate everything else. So if you're 45 and you say, you know, I'm having abdominal pain and my stool now is really bloody or now I have new constipation or now I have new diarrhea, your doctor will probably, I mean, 45 is not that far off. If you're 20, it's a different situation. So the, the real answer is, you know, if you have any change in your belly symptoms, your bowel symptoms, you talk to your doctor. But the, if you're not going to see a doctor and you're just going to do a textbook screening exam, mm-hmm. start at age 50. And we've talked on the show about um, maybe changing it earlier to 45, but that's not recommended yet. So that's yeah. what it is. Family history for you, okay. I think, is where you're going. So you're going to have a colonoscopy earlier. Okay. Got and that's it. totally appropriate. I would say get it at 30. Whoa. <laughs> wow. That was Joe's so recommendation. Aggressive. To me, I know several people under 50 who have gotten colon cancer. You just can't Listen, dictate. Several. several. There's, yeah. We talked about this a lot. There are risks and benefits to everything that's, that we do. This procedure is not completely benign. There are risks that are going to go along with it. Things can happen even in the most perfect situation. So you have to calculate what is the benefit versus the risk of it. And if you're doing it at 30 for everyone and all comers, you're, you're, you're putting people at higher risk. You're putting, there is something very important about saying no to medical treatments. And every option that you have does not need to be the option you take. Joe wants everybody on Truvada as a right. prep for prophylactics for <laughs> HIV, and he wants so everybody. Misses, you know. Sorry. And he wants everybody to have a colonoscopy. So there, that's Joe's recommendations, <laughs> not our recommendations. Not but if you doctor. don't mind, if you could get your colonoscopy videotaped, we would love to post that. Thank you so much. And coming up next, we have our guest Ingrid Lim, an emergency medicine doctor who is diagnosed with breast cancer at age 43, and she's going to tell us her story of diagnosis and surgery. We're here with Ingrid Lim, emergency room physician, the chief of continuing medical education, and the assistant chief of wellness at San Francisco Kaiser. She's here to talk to us about her story and her diagnosis of breast cancer and going from being a doctor to a patient. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Tell us, tell us your story. Where did it, where did it, this journey start? We've been reading your blog a little bit, so we know some, and everyone should who's going through this should read it. It's so personal and real and, and awesome. But um, tell us how it started for you. Um, well, it's kind of interesting because I'm actually surprised I did anything about it. Uh, being a physician, we are like the worst patients. Um, we, uh, so what happened was I was sitting at my computer writing an email at like midnight, which is when my usual customary time is. And I felt a wet spot on my pajamas, um, on the right over the right breast. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, 
I felt like I was lactating, um, except the last kid I had was four years ago. So I was like, oh, that's kind of strange. Like maybe my boob is just like having some residual act up or something. I don't know. So I didn't think much of it. And it was just like a tiny, tiny amount. And then um, the next night, same thing. I'm at my computer. And, you know, again, I, I don't notice it during the day because I have a bra on. So and it's heavily padded. And so I don't feel anything. <laughs> we'll get and, we'll oh, get back to that. <laughs> and then at night, um, when I have just my pajamas, I noticed it again, the right side. And I was just joking with my husband. I was like, it's so weird. It's like I'm lactating. He's like, well, we better not be having a fourth child. Um, so it was just it was just kind of a joke. And then, you know, like probably like a week in, I was like, maybe I should do a like feel around and see if I, you know, and I, so I touched the right breast and was like, oh shit, I feel there's like a lump or something's mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel hard. It felt kind of like, like a soft thing. It was slightly tender. So I was like, oh, that's a good thing. Cause like cancer isn't tender. Right. Um, and, but, but at this point, were you sort of in a little bit of denial, do you think? Or do you think that it just seems so benign that you really didn't believe it was well, anything of concern? It took you a week to feel your breasts. And it's not like you <laughs> exactly. need to like get up from the sofa. Right. Just so that our listeners know, your breasts are always with you. <laughs> so like the fact that it even took you a week, uh, yeah, clearly totally. you were in... I wasn't, I wasn't thinking much of it. Yeah, and then we, this is even, even more embarrassing because I actually Googled... <laughs> unilateral one-sided <laughs> breast discharge and I saw that that is pathologic and so meaning like you know there's something wrong right because yeah. it's okay to have two bre- uh, discharge from both breasts so I was thinking like okay if it's pathologic and so then I, that is actually what prompted me to be like hmm maybe I should feel myself yeah. so I I you know was in sort of denial initially and I was like wait the, the, le- the left side doesn't feel like that the right side it felt like a plugged duct to me which mm-hmm. is if you haven't gone through the joys of breastfeeding um it's sometimes your your um milk ducts get plugged and then it just feels like something stuck is stuck there and it just felt like a little irregular and it was maybe the size of like a grape is what I felt right under the nipple and Mm. so at that point it's like midnight on Friday and I'm like okay well I'll just email my my primary care physician and you know you know that'll be that and I honestly just thought it's just going to be like some benign papilloma some little problem with my milk duct or something nothing was really but you know I work in the ER and like I have seen women and and young patients who are in their 20s who have brain cancer and so that was somewhat of a concern to me that maybe there I mean it could be it's starting to build yeah I was a little bit worried but you were reassured by the fact that first of all how old are you I'm 43. 43, so so young. Um, and it was tender, which usually means like inflammation or infection. It doesn't right. usually mean breast cancer to, right. to us, even to doctors, right? right? And the discharge and was also clear. It was not bloody. Bloody or anything, mm-hmm. right. And it was also, you felt this soft tissue. And like young women often have like fibrous breast tissue. Yes. And I had had on that side two uh fibroadenomas resected or taken oh. out before um and that Which was one? once like which they're like these like benign tumors that are kind of hard and they're really solid and so i had them i had one like in college like i was 22 i think and another one when i was in medical school and mm-hmm. so i was thinking like oh maybe it's just gonna be like this i was like this freaking boob is always giving me trouble and so i'm like yet again this is you know happening and so that right boob. I, yeah the right boob problem so then what happens? What You talk to your doctor. What's the next so, step? Yeah. So I 
emailed my doctor who was very, um, you know, she was very responsive even over the weekend. She emailed me and was like, oh, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll get you into the breast lump clinic. We have this at Kaiser San Francisco, a breast lump clinic that is just specifically for this reason. Um, I, don't, and, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. That's yeah, fascinating. It is. A breast it's lump great. Clinic. It's, yeah. um, and they have sometimes same day appointments. So if you're in the, in that uh, get seen by your PCP and you all of a sudden they feel a lump they like send you to the breast lump clinic so I I, I did have a mammogram when I turned 40 a few months ago and it was like the first screening the easiest thing in the world and they encourage you to just walk in and yeah. there's appointments like every 15 minutes yeah. it was like can we take a quick aside here and talk about it I've never actually seen a mammogram done other than like in like diagrams oh, well, and like instructional things and, and I hear it is not pleasant so give us a little give the guys a little background of what happens well, here. Okay, so a mammogram um, is an X-ray with minimal radiation, but and I got starting, you know, at forty, I started getting these postcards from Kaiser that was like, you know, that were very aggressive about preventive care at Kaiser. So, but did uh, they recommend it? They did not recommend it, just to talk to your doctor exactly. about it. And it's so like, I talked to my doctor, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, like, I got small bro. I, I've always had this is I've suffered from the small boob syndrome and as, mm, and after and after breastfeeding they become sad like salvador dolly eggs they just like <laughs> they just like hang chicken, and there's nothing chicken there's nothing joe salvador there. dolly was a point guard okay. for the toronto right. raptors <laughs> ah. a point guard yeah exactly yeah, the so there's just these like I, I actually went down an entire cup size i think um after breastfeeding they just sort of deflate and so i was thinking like I have small boobs. Like, what's the point of doing a mammogram? Because I don't even think they'll even be able sure. to, to image anything because yeah. they'd have to squish. You're like, a I don't doctor. Have and, and I mean, my boobs are so small. Oh, I'll be able to see, feel something. You're like, I can just put a flashlight to them and transilluminate <laughs> it and or, I can or, see. Or just jump up and down. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, so when, it's not pleasant. So when I talked uh, to okay. the PCP and she had ex- ex- asked me about that, I was like, well... No, I don't think I need it. Okay. Well, because for men listening, it's like the PSA for prostate screening now, mammograms, it's like, it's not recommended. It's like have a discussion, although at age 50, it is recommended, right? So right. it's not a fun process. There's a shelf that you sort of have to, if you have bigger boobs, like lift your boob onto like it's a potato <laughs> sack. is showing us I'm, right now. I'm demonstrating. <laughs> and then they squash it with like, it's like a... A glass uh, pane, like a panini, right? a panini, a panini press. press. No, it literally a panini yeah. press. And then when you think they're done squishing, they, they squish do it a more. Lip. So then they have this thing. They crank it like four more notches down where you're, and then they're like, "Don't breathe," right? And so, which you can't anyway because it hurts so bad. And then they go behind the thing. You know, they shoot sure. it. And so, like, it's and they take several views of it, and they make you do all these interesting contortions of your head and gotcha. neck because you have gotcha. to like. It happens. So then, um, so then I'm finally able to get the back to back. They like to do it together. So um, they sent me on Thursday. It was the only available time. And that was right before, you know, like the same day I had to work a shift from four to, mid, four to midnight in the ER. So I was like, and I had to, I had to run a meeting that same day. And so I was thinking like, okay, I can get this done like 1045. No problem. So mm-hmm. you mean diagnostic mammogram, then an ultrasound, then an that's ultrasound. the back to back. That's okay. the back to back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, so I get there, um, you know, the, I disrobe, they have, you know, you wear this gown with the opening in the front. And so you're constantly like feeling exposed and vulnerable. Um, and everybody's just sort of like in the waiting room, looking at each other, knowing why they're there, but maybe yeah. not, I don't know. Maybe people are just getting their screening yeah. mammograms, but I know why I'm there. Yeah. And so anyway, um, 
I go into the the mammography room. The tech is extremely nice, and you know she takes an image, and she's like, "We're just going to take a few images." And then I start getting suspicious because she keeps taking she keeps more, taking more yeah. images. Mm-hmm. And she, at first, I think it's because my small boobs, and like I'm like, "Well, there's she's no like, these way. are really good. These are really good small boobs. <laughs> no, we need to take a lot of like, pictures." But she can't get it onto the plate, like you know, because it's so so small. Is so she I'm eyeing like, you like? <laughs> These are so small. No, no. She's just apologetic and super nice. But I was just thinking like, oh, God, I'm like cursing my, you know, like, God, why was I not blessed with bigger boobs? Because this is the problem. But then, then, you know, she kept looking at him. I could see that she was corresponding with the breast radiologist. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and then there were certain areas that they wanted to keep looking at. And then I was sort of, Mm -hmm. then I was getting a little bit worried thinking, like, okay, this is like nine images now. And then yeah. I've like put on my clothes and then she comes back and she's like, I'm sorry, she really wants one, one more. more image. Mm-hmm. And so I take off my clothes. But mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. And that last pancake. Um, That's there's, good. Yeah. <laughs> there's um, I would bloody say discharge. Oh. I see bloody discharge oh. on, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the plate. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. I, that's yeah. not good. And so... Um, and so then I, then, then she's like, okay, we're done here. We're going to, you know, so you go back out to the waiting room and then they come and get you for the ultrasound. And so this time the ultrasound, she, the breast radiologist comes out, um, and she is the one who's going to do it. So she's going to discuss both the results of the mammogram and do the ultrasound. And so I had told her I felt a lump. Um, so we were looking for this lump. And Mm -hmm. so, um, she does the ultrasound and it's four centimeters oh man which i was like you said a grape i felt that is not what i felt right so i did the biopsy the following day i did the stereotactic biopsy which is this crazy crazy procedure where you have this it's like a it's like a medieval torture device it's like it's like this this metal bed with a hole in it you you lie down with your boob through the dangling hole. Uh-huh. and the radiologist like a car mechanic like they lift you up the car mechanic is underneath you and then she tells you that the needle is like seven gauge which is like a, a ginormous needle it's like I, I can't even i mean it's like it's, it's like, like a chopstick basically <laughs> yeah. um and so and she she said it's like a i don't know it's like a harpoon basically and so i'm like envisioning because the day before it was so painful yeah. she had nine oh. she did nine samples of it so and like my boob had turned completely black and blue because it was like all bruised so um i was terrified of the stereotactic biopsy and so when you go in you lie down and um and she tells you and to to prep you she says like okay so i just want to let you know that you cannot move and the problem is that it's a very uncomfortable bed it's you're gonna have to lie still for an hour with your boob hanging through and you can't see a thing that's going on i probably can't hear you because there's this vacuum suction thing that's going on too so you're gonna have to talk loudly if you need to do anything and then she or if you need me to give you more lidocaine which i was like give me as much as possible (laughs) and then she says um you know she's like so you can't move but don't do any zen cleansing breaths or any deep breaths because it is mapped to millimeters because Mm -hmm. so basically a stereotactic biopsy it's like they take x-rays several x-rays to find out where this microcalcification section is Mm -hmm. to to pinpoint the coordinate and then they like shoot this thing in to like you know get these core biopsies so um anyway so i was like so terrified of that um and i was thinking like how do people go through this i mean like it was anyway so you're lying there not knowing you can't move for an hour and then they're like working on your boob through a mm. hole <laughs> and, and then people. 
So that was like on so a that was Thursday, on a Friday, Friday, a week after you emailed your primary right. care doctor. Right. And then then they tell you like it's going to take some time because it's got to sit in formalin. It's got to sit in some chemicals before the pathologist can look at it. And there's a weekend. So like pathologists don't work on weekends. So I for five. So basically five days of just absolute torture and I felt like yeah. like time stopped you know here I am thinking like okay what the what am I gonna do and so let's talk a little bit yeah. about at this point you're at this point you're obviously worried that's gonna become cancer have you talked about it with your husband have you talked about it with your kids I haven't said anything I mean this is just me like I'm about to go on shift I I I don't know I don't know what to think and like I think, okay, well, so I put my clothes back on. I walk up the hill to the hospital and I'm supposed to be running a meeting, which I'm late for. So I had texted them saying like, I'm not going to be able to, you guys are going to have to start this meeting without me. Um, and I get there and I'm, I remember sitting in this room being so like disconnected and thinking like all of my colleagues who are all physicians, right? They're all participating and having a lot of fun and, inter- and I'm like, I have fucking cancer. Like I'm, I'm like in this yeah. other complete world. Um, and I thought, I remember thinking of this strange transition of like, like going from wearing a patient gown, like I was in my scrub. So like I put my scrubs back on my, my, you know, like doctor costume and I'm like walking up the hill and now I'm going to have to go be a doctor. Right. And so I, I was thinking like, this is just so weird. I don't know if I can do this today. And so, so I'm at, I, I'm at this faculty development workshop, like, like, trying I'm running this workshop and I'm trying to be my usual chipper self and you know participating and stuff and like I and I remember one of the physicians sitting next to me was talking to me about something and was suggesting something he was like very enthusiastic about something and I was I don't even remember what he was talking about because I was not really there right and um so I had a meeting with so I finished that meeting and then I had another meeting with a cardiologist, um, a one-on-one meeting. And I felt like at the time I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't breathe really much because it hurt a lot. Um, and then I, um, and then I went to the bathroom just to like go to the bathroom. And then I checked my bra and it was like soaked in blood. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) so then I called my friend and asked her like, I don't think my friend who's also like my friend from residency of 17 years, I call her. I'm like, I don't think I can go to my shift at four. So this is like two o'clock. So I don't think anyone's going to cover. And there's this mentality in the ER. Like you just like, unless you're in your deathbed, you like, you need to show up to your shift in the ER because they're going to die without you over there. Right. So, and we didn't have sick call that day. So I was thinking like, okay, I'll just go to the ER and um, work until somebody can come in. Um, and she was, and she was so gracious. She was just like, okay, I'm just going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. Just like go home. And yeah. cause I told her the whole, the oh, whole story. Yeah, right. And I was like crying. And so she, and she was like, just go home. And so, um, anyway, she came and saved the day and like came over from clinic and she'd been working in clinic well, and then came over. And that's the funny thing home. is we, as doctors, we do sometimes we're like, nobody can do this job, but me, if I'm not there to do it, then <laughs> nothing will happen and, and there's a little bit of truth to that but in reality we have colleagues there's someone that can take over it can be done it's yeah just... yeah yeah we talk about yeah there is a bravado there is it's wrapped up in a little bit of like narcissism I you know especially when I was we were talking about this with Rakesh as well Rakesh um about how you just feel like if you don't show up nothing can get done and yeah. like that's just not that not accurate you know so tell us about what your fears are at this point so I, okay. So I'm like walking to the garage so this whole time. I'm like, okay, I'm just 
letting it sink in and I get to the garage and I just like full on like ugly girl cry. I am like sobbing. Like the doors of the elevator open. I go into the car and I am just like, like just everything comes out. I'm like crying and because everything just starts flooding in. Like what, what if this is, I don't know what it is. I mean, I know I'm thinking it's cancer. I don't know what stage it is. Um, And I'm thinking like my three kids is, Ken can't be a single dad like and I'm thinking totally rational things too like I'm like yeah. thinking like he doesn't even know anything about the trust like I pay the credit card bills like yeah. uh the kids are gonna fail out of school because he never like knows he's what's, gonna what's marry it. again and she's gonna be a bitch yeah <laughs> I don't know I'm my, just like kids are gonna have a stepmom <laughs> I know I just I had all of these thoughts and I was thinking like what are they gonna do like they're not like they're so young and they won't have their mother and like I I don't know and I just I I, I don't know I had these crazy thoughts about like what are we going to do to prepare for this it's yeah. funny because because you're a doctor i bet you the thing that tipped you over because you've been thinking cancer for yeah. a week now that you couldn't work like you're like oh my, no i'm being serious like all of a sudden you know you talk about high functioning alcoholics high functioning people who are depressed the last thing that goes is work right mm-hmm. and for you you're like you know, we think we can do it all. We think we can be sick and be a doctor and be sad or depressed and be a doctor and be an alcoholic and be a doctor. And then you couldn't work that day. And you realize like you, there's weakness, right? And you're vulnerable and you can't just show up to work and be a superhero that day. And that is probably the thing that finally made it like real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I had to go home, you know, and you get the results and spoiler it's cancer. Yeah. So then <laughs> what, what happened? How did you get the results and, and, and what happened? And yeah. What? So the, um, so like all weekend long, I'm freaking out and I'm crying spontaneously, like in the pantry and in the bathroom <sighs> and like trying to hide it from my kids and still be peppy and like put on their, her, like my seven year old's birthday party and stuff. But meanwhile, I'm thinking like, this might be the last time I, you know, like, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and that is the absolute torture. I think that was the worst. That's probably the worst part of all yeah. of it is just the waiting of not knowing. But then, um, so of course, like any physician, I will log into my own record and on, <laughs> which you're allowed to do. It sounds illegal, but I've asked recently. Um, and so on, I think on starting on Monday, I, um, was looking at looking into health into my um, medical record and I saw it kept saying in process, surgical pathology <laughs> in process. And I was like, okay, when are they going to, you know, like I, and I know that it had been, ex- it was being expedited because of, you know, you got to have some perks, I guess, of being a physician. So <laughs> I think it was being expedited. They weren't going to be able to do it. So Tuesday, I'm like, you know, pacing around. I can't even like, like sit still because I keep checking like every 20 minutes my record. And then it comes back final. Like the report comes back final and I can see it. Finally. So then I like open up the, the uh, report and the report, I, the first word I see is carcinoma, oh. which means cancer. And I was like, oh, fuck. And like, Ken, my husband is in the room, but I'm not, I'm like still scanning. There was like a bazillion words on mm-hmm. this pathology report. Um, yeah. And I'm just keep scanning like wh- what type, like I don't, and I don't know anything because I'm not an oncologist. So I can't interpret what this means other than I see cancer. Um, and then it says ductal carcinoma in situ, which I also had to Google because I mm-hmm. can't remember from medical school, but I was like, I think that's the. I think that's the good cancer mm-hmm. if you could have a good cancer. And so I, um, you know, I called my husband over. We're like, Google. And this is why this. here note to listener. This is why you should not look at your own chart <laughs> because you have no idea how to interpret it. Sometimes I was just thinking know. that as a doctor, even though you're not the specialist, I, I was surprised that it was tough to 
kind of read through all that stuff. Well, yeah. Well, because I'm just... There's well, so I, yeah. many words. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a lot of... They do a lot of specific them. stuff, like they probably did immunohistochemical yeah. typing. That takes, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was like necrosis, and I had to look that yeah. up. I was like, what does all there's, this mean? Yeah. yeah. So, because basically when you look at it, you're like, am I going to die or am I going to need chemo? <laughs> like, that's my question, right? But anyway, so ductal carcinoma in situ was like the best <laughs> news I could have asked for. But again, I did not know what that meant. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean for treatment? And, you know, um, and the radiologist is the person who actually calls you oh. with those results, which is oh, interesting because yeah. I, I want to ask all these questions. And so I knew. Right. And they can only tell you like so much. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And so I was like, are you going to the tumor? You tell the surgeons I want these boobs off. Now, A-S-A-P. take them off. So, <laughs> so, you go, so you go to the tumor board, and we know you had both of your breasts removed, and this whole story is about this bad, naughty right breast so far. <laughs> and then, so is it the tumor board or genetic testing or your own mindset that says double mastectomy? Yeah, so I I think um, there were several factors into why I decided to do both. Um, so th- by the way, the tumor boards are like not for the patients. It's like they discuss the patient. So I'm not there. Pres- I'm not present there. Um, but they text me during the. Um, this is part of the the perks, <laughs> the perks of being yeah. a physician. Yeah, they text me during that. Um, uh, during that hour and they asked me if I could go to the multidisciplinary women's health clinic, which I didn't even know we had at Kaiser San Francisco, which is amazing. Um, anyway, so they said, can you be there by two? This is like 1230 now. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Um, Are you off today? This day? Well, I'm off because my amazing colleagues in the ER have like all of a sudden all my shifts get covered once I tell everybody that's what's going on. So, um, yeah, so I, my husband's, like stayed home with me because he knows that, you know, he stayed basically the second day when I go to that stereotactic biopsy, he's off for like the next three weeks to be home with me, um, to his credit. Um, and he, uh, so we, we show up at this multidisciplinary clinic and, um, and it's amazing because it's like, just like, I mean, we're not a comprehensive cancer, we're like we're not MD Anderson, but it was like, as if I was at MD Anderson, because it was such a fluid, um, experience. So basically I go into a room at two o'clock and in three hours I met like seven specialists. I stayed in one room and they all came in Mm -hmm. one after another with like little wait, like five minutes maybe between each of them. So I met my breast surgeon, the plastic surgeon, the, the breast oncologist, the geneticist, the social worker, um, you know, a radiation oncology via video visit. This is probably only possible at Kaiser San Francisco. I mean, the Kaiser system is so well integrated, but anyway, I was so, I had such pride when I saw this, this thing in action. Um, anyway, and then, so I, I, the breast surgeon comes in and she's fabulous. Um, uh, I don't know. Can I mention her name? Sure. Uh, Elizabeth, um, Linehan is her new name cause she just got married. Um, and she, uh, she at the very beginning says, I'm going to talk to you like a patient and not as a physician which I so appreciated because I know nothing because I'm Googling stuff, right? <laughs> and my husband is also a layperson, right? So And you, you're not supposed to be your own doctor. Right. You need them to treat you as if you were yes. a patient. Yes, and that is... And I actually do find, like, having treated our colleagues, you know, treat, uh, treating physicians, it is sometimes hard to, like, just treat them as a regular yeah. patient. Um, 
So she was very um, patient and answered all of our questions and she gave me all these different options. And so she was like, okay, so one option is to do a lumpectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, we'll just skip that option because I'm not even going to entertain that. But she was like, well, I just want to offer you sure. all the options. And so she, she explains it, right? Mm-hmm. So you can get a lumpectomy. There's a 30% chance of recurrence with that. And when it comes back, it's possible that it will be invasive, like 50% chance. You're like, swipe left, swipe left. <laughs> so I was like, 30%? That is fucking I'm surprised they even that. give you that option. Yeah. yeah. No, but you Especially because you were like, no. It's like, yeah. the patient chooses well, She just wanted to be thorough, I think. And she yeah. had this spiel that she was going through. So right. she was like, okay, this is this is the, you know, the first option is lumpectomy, but you will have to do, yeah. require... Um, radiation, radiation mm-hmm. afterward, which I was like, okay, another reason not to. Um, but you know, it was interesting after I had this, I had a, another discussion with a very close friend of mine who's an oncologist. Um, and he was saying that a lot of women surprisingly choose lumpectomy because of their, uh, maybe aesthetics, aesthetics or like body image, or, you know, maybe if you've never, if you haven't had kids yet and you don't, haven't married, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm sure. Not sure. I, I mean, there's yeah. probably all kinds of there's reasons, reasons. To go into it. People have reasons. People have reasons. I'm, but to me, it was like, I don't, this is like a very cut and dry, like black yeah. and white, like I'm done. Don't even talk to me about lumpectomy. You yeah. made the decision, you made the decision to have a double mastectomy at the end of the day, right? Because you know that there's this chance of recurrence, you know about the risk in the other breast. And you had options to not do it, the lumpectomy or maybe just one mastectomy, but you knew this would be the most definitive treatment and that's what you were interested in, right? Well, and she did, she pulled out a laminated card out of her pocket to show me what the options, uh, what the the rate was for possibility of getting a contralateral, the other breast getting um, cancer. And that was a 4% risk within about 10 years, within a 10 year period, which I was like, well, I'm going to live longer than 10 years. So like that could be, that's interesting because the risk of breast cancer among women is 8%. So 4%, isn't it? No, it's what? So one in eight women, one in eight, one in eight. So it's like 12%. One in eight women will have a, will have breast cancer. Right. So 4%. Yeah. In your left. Is it less or is it I was not even told there was going to be no math. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, but okay. it's interesting to think about like um, your options, right? Because yeah. you have cancer in your breast and you see, some women see that as like alien, like get this off. Right. And you're saying that a lot of women are like, this is me. Keep it. You know, it's sort of, yeah. a, you can look yeah. at it either yeah. way. Because so I feel like. They call it like breast conservation. Conservation, yeah, yeah, um, treatment, and yeah. so and so. Then the oncologist also, both of them were kind of like, well, there's nothing wrong with your left breast, and I was like, okay, so let me just get this straight. So if I don't do anything with my left breast, how often am I going to need to come in for surveillance? And they were like, you're going to need to come in every six months to do a mammogram, not even an MRI, and a mammogram, a mammogram and an MRI. I'm like, this right, was alternate, like going to yeah. be alternate, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never ever fucking want to go through this again. Like this whole, like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening for five days. It was absolute torture. It was so yeah. horrible. Yeah. I, and I kept thinking like, if I get a lump or anything, like I just wanted peace of mind because I thought like, because and the other thing was that like, so then the oncologist explained to me afterward, you know, she was three doctors in, but she was like, okay, so if you do bilateral mastectomy for DCIS and it still is DCIS after the final pathology, you're done. Like you don't have to do chemo. You don't have to do radiation. And I thought, and what I loved so much about Liz, um, Sherelle, now Linehan, um, the surgeon is that she actually said this 
key phrase to me that I will always remember is that she was saying, you know, I know this sounds like a huge surgery, this double mastectomy. It's a big surgery. And she said, but like you are going to live to see your kids grow old. You're going to grow old. This is just going to be a footnote in your life. And and when she said that, I, I was like, sign me up, sign me up. Like I will go tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so I, and the other issue that came up was also thinking like, should I get reconstruction? And so I was like, well, that'll look really weird. Like having a lopsided, right. One that's one got breast it. that is, that could bigger. be fun though. That could be fun. <laughs> one small Re- breast and one really large breast. I don't know. So I was like, for balance sake, I also so yeah, reconstruction yeah. is a fancy word for breast implants yes. for Joe yeah, and our listeners. You. Well, you also Figured said that out, you but... met with an oncologist, a breast surgeon, a plastic surgeon. I was gonna be like, let's go back to that. Yeah. Let's talk about the plastic. So our, um, I got, I, my, the plastic surgeon came in, um, and I love her. She, and she's extremely talented. And I, I remember she came in with this bag that was kind of like an ugly bag. I was thinking like, Oh God, what is that? And then So she takes the bag out um, and she unzips it and she's like, so this is, so she takes out these boobs. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like a silicone implant. This is what a silicone implant feels like. This is a saline implant. This is the tissue expander. And so she explains the, the, the procedure of what's going to happen. So I can, you can do it. um, You can do uh, either a one step, one stage approach where you do the mastectomy, you take the breasts out and then you put the implant in directly um, and, and then, you know, you sew it up and that's it. Or you can do a two stage, which is what I chose to do because I want bigger boobs. Cause there should be a, a silver lining yeah. to all of this. Go um, big or go home. <laughs> Triple D. <laughs> so I, I was like, I've never had cleavage in my life. So this is my chance. It's um, about time. So I, so I, um, ask her about that. And so she says, well, the best way to do that is you put a tissue expander in, which is this rigid plastic, which I felt it's like this plastic you know, I don't know. It looks like a, it look, kind of looks like a flattened cinnamon bun. Um, and then they insert that in there. They let the skin heal. And then over time you go into the clinic every week, which uh, is what I'm doing now. Um, and they inject saline. It's like getting your braces up. tightened. Yes. At the office. Yeah. Like every time they go, <laughs> er, er, er. <laughs> except it's more pleasant in the end. Um, wow. Okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Let, let me ask you this then. So you have uh, been through a lot already, and it's not totally over for you. You still have to have the the reconstruction. But of of all this, what's been the hardest part so far? Other than the waiting and the physical discomfort, what's been the hardest part? I mean, I think the hardest part was the waiting and just not knowing. I think that that is always... And I think also just... Um, being a patient is really hard. Um, being patient is hard, um, which I thought was kind of a funny, I noticed that that's the same word patient (laughs) noun and adjective, um, because I'm not inherently a patient person. And so ER doctor, (laughs) you're fast paced. I'm an ER doctor. Exactly. Everything should be done stat. Um, so it's been hard because I felt like I would be more recovered by now, you know, and now I'm about mm. a month out. And so, um, and I really, you know, it took there, there's a lot of, um, where I had to just sit around and do nothing, which is not yeah. something I've it's ever not done. Your thing. Um, but I shouldn't, I mean, I honestly, this like, I just feel so grateful that I, you know, had the diagnosis that I had and that I'm essentially like the hardest part is 
done, right? And I hope. Um, the final pathology came back as DCIS and nothing more because a lot of times, like a third of the time, it, you go into surgery and it comes out upstaged. Okay. So then, um, so it was confirmed to be DCIS and it turned out to be six centimeters on final pathology. Wow, nice. Which I was like, oh my God, you know, like, and I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that at all. It I is incredible. I, um, yeah, you're a small person. Six centimeters like, is a big part of your body. <laughs> is that like, that's like a tennis ball? That's yeah. like, that is, yeah. That's big in. I know. Jeez. And so maybe that's because, maybe that's why I didn't feel it because it was entirely my entire boob. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was really happy when I took it out <laughs> that I actually did a mess, full mastectomy. Um, oh, I also did a, I should mention, we also did a sentinel, sentinel lymph node biopsy as well to, to make sure it hadn't spread. So that was negative. So the pathology was good. Um, and I ended up insisting on genetic testing, um, which, um, you know, I had talked to the geneticist beforehand and she had said, well, you don't really need it. It's actually pretty common. One in eight women get it in the U S and I was like, I know, but I'm only 43. Like, and I have, I've, I've daughters and a sister, like, and she was like, well, you don't have any family history. There's probably not any reason to, but I sort of convinced them <laughs> to let me do it probably cause I was a physician also, but, but because my dad's side, we have no idea cause he was adopted. So I had no idea what the, the genetics is like on that side. And so they let me do it. Um, and the genetic testing takes two weeks to come back. So they test like 34 cancer genes and I'm sure there's many more that are undiscovered, but and it turns out I have an ATM mutation, um, which is this rare mutation. You can't get money when you need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a bummer. I wish that would be the case, wouldn't it? Um, but that gives you, it confers like a two to four times risk oh. for breast cancer. Yeah. So a 53% lifetime risk of developing breast yeah. cancer. So after I heard that, I was like, well, thank God yeah. Yeah. I got both breasts taken off. Or you would have off. had to have right. gone back yeah. in. Oh, yeah. my yeah. goodness. So, yeah. So, so being a patient and learning patients, obviously, um, is probably like life changing as a person and as a patient, but do you feel like it's now impacted you? I guess you haven't been back to work yet cause you're still recovering, but obviously you have a different perspective. Do you feel like you'll obviously bring that back to your practice? Cause being a patient is a very unique, um, perspective. Unfortunately, yeah. not many I, of us have had that yet. I think, um, I think everyone, I mean, I, I don't wish cancer on anyone. Um, but I think it's always humbling to be a patient, you know, for physicians to become the patient and be on the other side. Cause I really feel like you get a totally different perspective and an understanding of the, the just overall vulnerability and, you know, helplessness of not knowing what's going to happen to you. Um, and feeling like that loss of control. Um, I started blogging because I had so many thoughts in my head and I just could not, I needed a way to process it. And writing has always sort of been my therapy and you should start a podcast. <laughs> Actually, tell us the blog. Tell us where people can find the blog. Oh, it's, um, one limb and two parks is the name of it. <laughs> blogspot.com. So one, um, limb meaning, cause my last name is limb. And then originally when I, it was only my husband and my son there were two parks because their last oh. name is park um but now there's one limb in four parks oh, because <laughs> i have three kids yeah so i think uh, i saw it on facebook too though i think that's yeah, where i, I saw posted, it yeah. Oh, yeah i've been posting it on my facebook page too so um but yeah it's been so i i started blogging about my my feelings but then i real and then i well 
I started writing and journaling because I felt like that was my catharsis. But then I realized like I, I waffled back and forth about like, should I share this with people? And then I thought like, everybody knows somebody with cancer. And, and I felt like if people could know what maybe one person's experience is like and what it feels like and what just, I don't know, maybe we would have more empathy for, especially for our providers, like more empathy for our patients, um, for our friends and our family. I I don't know. I just thought like maybe it would be, and it would be educational, I think, because I certainly learned so much. I didn't know anything about all of this Right. You're you're spot on. It's so good for us to go over. I mean, think how eye-opening this was for you, but also think about how many benefits you had because you're a doctor. Right. You were able to get things moving so fast. You were able to talk to people you knew. You know, you're able to call the surgeon, and our patients don't have that. Right. And they have to sit around right. waiting. Right. Um, it's it really shows you how scary it can be, and it can yeah. be much scarier for other people. Right. Yeah. Although there is a part that's almost scarier for doctors too. <laughs> Because you know no. more. Yeah. Like there, there are some people who would have walked away from that mammogram initially being like, oh, she said it could be something else. That's cool. But you knew that it wasn't. And so. you also have a hard job and a busy job that keeps you from certain appointments to get it done more expedite, <laughs> you know, expeditiously. All right. Ingrid, thank you. Um, you know, this, your story was so personal to hear for me just because my mother and my sister both had breast cancer and my sister especially 36 years old wow. went through everything you just mentioned almost to the T uh at just six months ago actually wow. just finished the, the reconstruction everything looks good so your story really resonates uh what, what would you recommend for patients who have to start from the beginning or just get that diagnosis can any advice you can give us or give them um well, I would say for for just getting the diagnosis, I think the the main thing is just to, you know, like have a whole team of people that are there, you know, like assembled. I think that was what the key was to just get us, the whole team on board um, and they, um, you know, sort of come up with a treatment plan. And I think that that's for the patient. The most reassuring thing is that the, there's a plan that's set in motion and that it's coming, you know, there's things going to happen and things are going to and and. Um, I think that was the more reassuring part of it. Um, but I think in general, like women need to have mammograms. Um, and you think like, you know, it's like, it's, it's just like the pap smear. It's a pain in the vagina there, but it's like, (laughs) but it's, it's, and it's painful. Like the, the mammograms are painful, but they, they work. And you know, the screening mammograms do work. And a lot of times they detect things that you can't necessarily feel, um, for like three years. And so if the earlier you can get it detected, that means your chance of survival is so much higher. So, um, and I would say, you know, if it's your mom and your sister, I don't know if they've had genetic testing, but I, I would also, you know, make a plug for that too, because especially if there is something there is, you know, it's very rare, but men can also get breast cancer as well. And, um, especially if they have the BRCA, you know, the BRCA one, two gene that, Mm -hmm. um, it's only like 1% of all breast cancers are men, but they oftentimes cases of it in my lifetime. Really? Yeah. I mean, they often are very late in diagnosis because it's never, yeah. So, yeah. So I would say if your mom and your sister, basically anytime there's a, um, you know, a first degree relative, if you have one first degree relative with breast cancer, your, your chance of getting breast cancer is doubled. But if you have two 
close relatives, it's like three to four times the risk. And so then you should definitely get, I mean, if they have not gotten genetic testing, they should get genetic testing because if they, if, and you, um, because surprisingly, you know, males, if you have BRCA gene are also then prone for not just, um, not just breast cancer, but I think like prostate cancer, Mm -hmm. there's other cancers associated with it. So, um, so it's definitely something worth looking into. That's so, great advice. Great we'll advice. try and get Joe into uh, get a mammogram if we can all do that. I Even mean, if he doesn't have it, I would just like to see him maybe. go through that for the show. I actually wondered about that. How do they do the male ma- I think the same way they do horrible. small... From what you were saying, <laughs> just, just pinching... Uh, SBS, small boob syndrome. I mean, that's great. Thank you for ending with that. A plug for all screening. Screening tests have been studied. They're very available, usually very read- readily available. They're pretty cheap and we know that the benefits outweigh the risks. And these are hundreds of thousands of patients are usually studied before it's a recommendation. This is really well vetted stuff, for example, like vaccines, (laughs) but pap smears, (laughs) mammograms for women, colonoscopies, what Kaveh and I do for everyone ask your doctor about that and it's um incredibly meaningful and, and we're happy and the, self-breast e- and the self-breast exam is actually not that reliable right so Good even though we're supposed us, to yeah. even though um you know they tell you that i i think that's actually been um the american cancer society has actually dropped that as yeah. like that you have mm-hmm. to do monthly breast right. self-breast exams you should know what your breasts normally feel like but like it's not and even the clinical breast exam has been dropped off the recommendations for acs by acs because it's not that reliable so yeah. i think the mammogram is just something that you just have to do like going to the dentist yeah well ingrid thank you so much thank you for sharing your story your blog is great Thank you for being so vulnerable. I think it's really important for people to hear it. I think it's important for providers to hear it. I think it's important for patients who might be going through this or have a loved one who is going through it, read it as well. So one more plug for that. It's One Limb, Two Parks. Is that the name of the blog? One Limb and Two Parks. One Limb and Two Parks. Thank you so much, Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All anecdotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.